I got home Thursday from Isaac and I had gone to Pokagon for a couple of days, and within 10 minutes, I get on the news and the Holcomb mask mandate, and that's not such happy news. And then found out that a trip out east I'd planned got canceled because New York State had kind of banned um, our state, but they banned most of the union too. And then, last but not least, well, a few weeks ago at the Washington Redskins, my lifelong team, since I was four years old, my dad sat me on his shoulders. I remember distinctly and watched it was the Redskins versus the Chargers and been a lifelong Redskins fan. So a few weeks ago, along with many major changes in society, the Redskins got next. So waiting with anticipation, we're not gonna go with no name, my team. So yes, it's very painful. I don't know who I'm gonna cheer for this fall, if we have football. Hey, speaking of that Holcomb mandate, that goes into effect tomorrow, and Pastor Josh will be meeting this week, and he will put out another video email like he did at the beginning of this crisis, and just to let you know the way forward um, for us as a church family. So we're going to look at that, um, see exactly what it is and how it pertains to churches or not, and so you will be receiving something, or if you're not on the church email list, just call in or contact one of the elders or myself or call the office. With that being said, today, subject is love. And just want to start off by saying love is perhaps an overused word. It gets bandied about. It gets so used in so many different ways, in so many different contexts. But I really want us to think today, what are we talking about when we use the word love? To think about the various ways we use the word love and to use it God's way, and to ask for it in God's power. So, in English, we've got one word, love, L-O-V-E, used in a wide variety of ways. When the Bible was first brought together in the Greek language, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, there were three different words in the Greek language for love. Number one was philos, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And this is perhaps natural love, a love in families, a love in a marriage. It's a natural love. It makes sense love. There's a bond there. The same team, the same soldier unit, the same family, the same working together. You've known each other since grade school. Uh, you've been through so many situations together. You've worked with these people for 20 years or 10 years. And and you've grown to love each other. And there's a familiarity. And that's perhaps the most common word for love. There, there's, it makes sense. There's common ties. Second word, eros. And this talks about sexual love, romantic love, physical love, passion, desire, eros. And God created eros. And God created it specifically for to be enjoyed within the context of marriage between a man and a woman as a symbol of lifelong fidelity and union. The third love was a little used word at the time called agape. And this is another Greek word for love. And it was somewhat akin to philos, but yet it wasn't hardly used at all. But when Christ had come 
And when Christ went to the cross and died for our sins, there needed to be something more than the natural word for love, philos. And so the Christians, the writers grabbed this word agape and basically said, this is our word. This is what love is. Love is sacrificial. Love is unnatural. Love, the love that God has for us goes against everything. It, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's love for those who don't deserve it. It's love for those who are not worthy of it. We need a new word for love. And they chose the word agape. In the New Testament, agape is used about 120 times. And philos is used about 20 times. So this is going to be our word. It represents God's love. Last week, the last couple of weeks, Newt Larson was here and talking about us being made in the image of God. And he made a couple of different funny parodies about animals and how they are not in the image of God. And I would say the same thing about us as human beings, that God has put it within us that we can have that agape love, unlike an animal. That you won't have a group of fish who are swimming around and the fisherman's got his hook in the water and the fish talk amongst each other and say, hey, we got to get this fisherman out of here. Who's going to take the hook? Do I have any volunteers? And there's never going to be a fish that says, I'll, do, I'll be the one. I will sacrifice myself and take the hook. There's never going to be a group of deer who are going to say, oh, do we all see that hunter? And then one deer says, I'll go. When he pulls the tr trigger, you two run for it. Agape love and being able to demonstrate that, that selfless, sacrificial love is something unique to us as human beings made in the image of God. It begins when, for us, we see ourselves in our sin that we are unworthy of God's love, but yet he lavishes it upon us in Jesus. And because we receive that agape love, we're able to give it away to others. Philos, eros, agape. Little pop quiz on Sunday morning here. I'm going to give you 10 quotes or images, and you could, you could just say which one of these loves it is. You're all going to do just fine. Quote number one, girl, you know I want your love. I'm in love with the shape of you. Ed Sheeran, pop singer. What's that talking about? Eros, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What kind of love is that? We need to know what type of love we are talking about. And I have a quote for this lady. We'll just put her up on the screen. Cinderella. I mean, I could have put Sleeping Beauty, the idea of the fairy tale, she's beautiful, he's handsome, therefore they can live happily ever after and be in love. We'll put Cinderella in the category of Eros. Next up is, hey, that's my generation right there. I don't know what sitcom families there are today, but probably not, but that was what I grew up with. So the Brady Bunch, what, what would they be? They'd be Philos, the, the natural human bond, the, the family. We're family. We love each other. Next one, 
Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Song of Solomon 1-2, what is that? Song of Solomon being that book of the Bible that is dedicated to to arrows. That's where it almost didn't make it in the Bible. And if you start reading, that's one of the tame verses out of Song of Solomon. You could see why it almost didn't make it in the Bible. But God created arrows too, to be enjoyed in the confines of marriage. So the next one is, I love my sister more than anything in this life. I will choose her happiness over mine every time. From the play Hamilton, two sisters, one singing a song. I love my sister more than anything in this life. I will choose her happiness over mine every time. How would you, what would you say for that one? Maybe philos or agape. It has shades of both. Next would set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Though Song of Solomon is primarily about Eros, this last, one of the last verses of, this, of the Bible book here are, are about philos, about something stronger um, than just Eros. Next one had to include Van Halen saying, oh, here it comes, that funny feeling again, winding me up inside every time we touch. It's got what it takes, so tell me why can't this be love? Hey, we touch, it feels good. Why can't this be love? Of course, you, Van Halen, talking about Eros. Next up, one of my favorite characters. Who's that? Sam, Samwise Gamgee from The Lord of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien. One of my favorite fictional characters of all time. I'd read the book several times before the movies came out. And Samwise, he sacrifices himself. He puts his life on the line over and over again in agape love. And I will say that just about every famous fictional character in some way, shape, or form reflects agape love. Harry Potter, if you know that story, what does he do? He, he presents himself before the Satan figure, Lord Voldemort, to be killed. Whether it's Captain America, who's going to ditch the bomber in the ocean to say and take himself with it. Whether it's Jean Valjean in, in Les Miserables, what does he do? He rescues Marius and unbeknownst carries him through the sewers of Paris and tells no one about it. Every great fictional character displays a form of agape. In Medal of Honor winners in the United States military, just about in every case, they are, they are awarded the Medal of Honor for sacrificing themselves on behalf of their fellow soldiers. Recently going out east, we passed the landmark for United Flight 93. Is that, you remember Flight 93? What that was all about? On 9-11 when the passengers took the plane down rather than allowing it to go on to D.C. and kill so many people. As human beings made in the image of God, how do we feel about when we see someone 
sacrifice or give their life on behalf of someone else, whether it's the firemen or the policemen or whoever. Instinctively, as, as human beings, we admire, we honor, we respect that. And last one, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. Today we find ourselves in quite the amazing times. A looming election, uh, riots, protests going on, COVID-19 uncertainty, and there's an absence of love. And I just say, of, of all that I've read, of all the editorials I've read, of, of what I've watched on TV shows, and I could be missing some, but I've seen one editorial on love and forgiveness. Everything, 99% of what I've read, it's all about my rights, my demands. It's all the voice of anger, forcefulness, change now, my change. One article about love and about forgiveness. And what do we think is going to happen to our country? Just more, everyone's angry. Okay, there's no special award. We'll just say everyone's angry. Everyone's saying it must be this way. But for us as the followers of Jesus, we have to know, we must know that only in the context of everything's covered in love, in grace, in agape love, is healing for our country, any hope for our country, any, any life or joy or peace. Let's pray. I want you just to, I want to encourage you to pray right now and even just whisper it. Lord, help me to grow in your love. Help me to grow in agape love today. Just pray that short prayer. Lord, help me to grow in agape love Lord, may your words here in 1 Corinthians, may they, may they hit us and may they change us, may they transform us. Help us to grow in agape love. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, as we move forward, three kinds of love, eros, philos, agape. Christians adopted, agape is our word. It's unnatural love. It's love for those who don't deserve it, who don't earn it. That's the love that we're called to. That's the love we were given by Jesus. It's the love we want to give toward those around us. 1 Corinthians 13. Let's uh, put that up. So I want you to say, uh, is it, is, is patience come naturally for you? Kindness, never jealous, never boast, never rude. Do those things come naturally to human beings or they come, are they unnatural? I want to say that no one ever had to take a class to learn how to be impatient. No one ever had to go to college to learn how to be rude. That naturally it is inherent. We easily do all these things, the opposite of love. So the challenge for you and me today is that we're always fighting uphill and we need Jesus to give us his love because all these things are supernatural. Let's just say patience, it's, it's a supernatural something that Christ has to give us to give us patience.
to keep going. So let's begin to look at 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. I do think there's always something significant when a biblical writer starts off, what's his first, what's his go-to? Love is patient. So I want you, I'm just going to give you about 10 seconds. I want you to think, because I find it surprising, why patient? Ask yourself that question, why is it first, love is patient? Just think about that. Love is patient. I want you to be puzzled by that so you'll remember it because I think it is, we're so used to it, we've heard it so many times, but it should jump off the page of us and say, really? Love is patient? That's your lead off? That's your open? Love is not in a hurry. Love has an infinite capacity for endurance. When Christ is in you, you're able to be patient. What do we commonly say? What do we often say when our patience is tried? I can't stand it. I can't stand him. I can't stand her. I can't stand another moment of this. I can't wait. Those are natural human feelings, right? We say stuff like that, right? But the truth is, because of Christ, when we say, Jesus, help me, we can wait. We can endure. We can keep going. And that's the greater truth. This, this word literally means I suffer long. I'm forbearing. I persevere. I'm long-tempered. I refuse to retaliate with anger. Because what do we do when we're impatient? We snap. Maybe we yell. Maybe we try to like speed things up, get someone's attention. But Christ in us, he says, what is love? What's agape love? It's patient. It's not in a hurry. It's able to wait. The glory of agape love, God's love, is it has power to walk through the mundane, the boring, the ordinary, the everyday. A lot of times in our society, like love is the heroic, like it's to sacrifice your life. But love is also here, is just patient. It's the unnoticeable, every day, just walking it out, quietly, steadfastly, being patient with people around you. Love is kind. Love is is full of service. It's acts of kindness. It's gentle. And the kindness here, when it says love is kind, it's it's a kindness that's revealed in action and in words. It's in the break room, cleaning up your coworker's mess. Maybe someone you know is going through a hard time and and sending them a text saying, how are you doing today? Can I be praying for you? It's perhaps cleaning up the dishes, making the bed, trash in your neighbor's yard, picking it up for them, doing something a little extra, whether it's seen or unseen, an act of kindness for a friend, for your spouse, for your parents, for your children. That love is kind. Love thinks, 
How can I serve? That when you're walking with Jesus, Jesus helps you to think, how can I help them? Is there something kind, helpful, I can do to serve that person? Love does not envy. To envy is to be jealous of. To, to envy is to wish that someone else did not have that nice thing. To envy is to wish that someone else did not have that nice thing, but, but it belongs to me. Envy is that I'm not happy that that person is blessed. Envy is when envy finds out that someone else has, been, has gotten a raise or is able to purchase something nice, that it ruins your day. It makes you like, oh, I wish I, the first thing you think is, I wish I had that. Must be nice. That is the expression of envy. But love does not envy. With Christ in us, no matter what our situation, well, I'm, I'm happy. I rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm thankful God blessed them. Love is not envy, but love finds ways to be gra grateful, to find gratitude in what we do have. Love rejoices with those who rejoice. Love does not boast. Love is not a show-off. Love is not a braggart. Love is not self-centered. Love does not mean every conversation has to come back to being about me. Love is humble. Love is other-centered. Love asks, how are you doing? Love is not arrogant. Arrogant means I inflate, I puff up. Love is not a windbag. Love is humble. Love is modest. Love does not need to be self-exalting. Love is not rude. Love is not act unbecomingly, improperly, indecently. Rudeness is revealed in, in, in situations where you just don't care about the impact of your words or, or your actions. Rude, when we're rude, we say things like, oh, you're upset with me? So what? Someone will come to you and say, hey, you, you really you really made such and such pretty angry by what you did. And if we're in a rude mood, we say, good, I'm glad. I feel a little bit better. I'm angry, so I'm, I'm happy that other people are angry too. Rude cares nothing about, well, they got offended. Well, I didn't mean it, but so what? But love is not rude. So even if I unintentionally offend someone, love means I want to say, well, hey, I'm sorry. Rude is glad they're mad, but love is going to try to make it up. Love doesn't want to be rude. Love, if Christ is in us, we do care about the impact of our words and actions. Love is not rude. Love is considerate. Love does not insist on its own way. Love does not make demands. Love doesn't say my rights are greater than your rights. My opinion is more important than your opinion. Love, on the contrary, finds joy, finds gladness in yielding. 
Love finds joy in being broken down and saying, it doesn't have to be my way. I can compromise or we can do what you would like to do. Love does not insist on my rights, my life, my way. True love is able to yield. Love is not irritable. Love is not easily provoked, offended, angered. Love is not emotionally disturbed easily. Offenses, real or imagined, come our way all the time. I've had conversations where someone would come to say, this person said that to me. And I may have witnessed the conversation and said, no, no, I mean, they, they didn't mean it that way. But oh, yes, they did. They meant to offend me. Sometimes we get upset and it's just, it is our imagination. Other times, yes, someone was trying to offend you. But either way, love chooses not to be irritable. Love chooses to overlook. Love chooses not to explode or go off on someone. Love is not resentful. In some translations of the Bible, it'll say, love literally keeps no record of wrongs. Love is not the type of person who says, um, I'm going to check mark there. She did it again. He did it again. In the early years of my marriage, I mean, I was more of a scorekeeper. And my wife knows full well, I mean, there'd be sometimes I'd, I'd be like, I'd be upset with her, but I'd just keep it in. And then one day she'd do something and then I'd, I'd be upset with her about, and I'd say this and this and this. And she couldn't even remember because I'd kept been keeping score for a while. And as soon as I would say that to my wife, because I was, I was the scorekeeper in the early years of my marriage, as soon as I'd say, I'd try to unload on her, and all the things, I would feel stupid and I would know I was wrong. And I'd end up saying, I'm sorry. And I'd know I'd feel ashamed and sorrowful for being a scorekeeper. Because I knew in my heart that that was wrong. Love is not resentful. On the contrary, love practices continual forgiveness. We say, we, we can, it's natural to say, I can't forgive or they've done too much. But because of the love of Christ and all the ways he's forgiven us, we're able to say, no, we can forgive. We can let it go. We don't have to keep score. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but love rejoices with the truth. Love does not rejoice in a bad report. Love does not rejoice in gossip. Love does not rejoice in slander. Love does not rejoice when someone messes up. Love does not rejoice when someone blows it. Love rejoices with the truth when people say sorry. Love rejoices when people confess sin. Love rejoices when people make up and reconcile. Love never rejoices in wrongdoing. How would you feel today if you got home and you saw breaking news? Joe Biden caught an extramarital affair, wife leaving him, campaign in chaos. Or you're, you're anti-Trump. Breaking news. Trump caught, convicted, going to jail in two weeks, 
campaign gone. Love never rejoices in wrongdoing. Never rejoices in someone's fall. There's a satisfaction as human beings we have when, when justice is upheld, but love never rejoices when, yes, sin, glad they got what's coming to them. Instead, love rejoices with the truth. Love likes and delights in confession and repentance. Truth, love, and joy are always intertwined. A common scenario, I'm sure you've probably all been there and you're with a, a few people or maybe several people, could be work, could be at home, but someone will say something like, our boss is such a jerk. Number two person will say, yeah, you see that decision they made, they're such an idiot. Person number three will like add to it. And then there's you. At that point, you have a choice. And, and maybe, some of those, maybe there's some truth. And you can jump right on that rolling train. Jump right on that bandwagon. Or you could say, well, he did get us pizza last Friday. Or that was a good decision. And yeah, you'll, you'll break and you may, they may look at you askance but you just rejoiced in the truth. You just pointed to love. You just pointed to Jesus right there. We have those situations all the time where we can, instead of rejoicing in wrong, we can rejoice in the truth and point toward love and grace. Love bears all things. The word here, love bears all things, has a sense of to cover closely. It was used to, if a boat was uncovered to take like a, a tarp and to cover it tightly so water can't get into the boat. So when, when love bears all things, it means it covers up, it protects, it preserves. I thought of Proverbs 17, 9, where it says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. If someone does something to hurt us, we can go to them and try to, to reconcile and make it right. If someone comes and says, well, why are you so upset with them? And if you want to tell lots and lots of people about what he or she did to you, your friendship is probably going to be over. But the Bible verse says, but if you cover it up, conceal it, not ignore it, but if you're just going to keep it between you and that person, there's a chance to save that friendship. And you're seeking love by not telling a lot of people. You cover it up. Love also believes all things. Love has faith. Love believes. Love is confident. Love has faith. Love, in, amidst all the uncertainty and the un, unrelenting stress of our time and what we're going through right now, love believes. Some way, somehow, we're going to get through this COVID-19. Somehow, some way, we're going to get through this election. Governor Holcomb's mask thing, whatever, whatever we need to do, we're going to, 
Love believes all things. We're going to love each other and we're going to get through it all. Love believes all things. Christ in you. You may say, well, I have little faith. I'm worried all the time. Christ in you. Lord, fill me. Christ in you believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love is optimistic. We will come through this. God is greater than all the trials we're going through right now. Love expects good things. Love anticipates we're going to be all right. Love anticipates we're going to be okay. We're waiting for Christ. He's going to come back one day. We can be full of joy and confidence. It's taking reality into account and hoping all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. So how did it start off again? What was the first line? Love is what? Love is patient. And the last line today is love endures all things. So I want you to see that bracketed on either end, start and finish, is patient and love endures. They're very similar. The, the word endurance means to stay behind, to await, to endure. Uh, literally, as a verb, it means to, I remain behind, I stand my ground, I show endurance. That love endures, that love perseveres. Love has staying power. So I find it interesting that in non-romantic terms, agape love is talking, at first it's patience and it's endurance. Basically, love has toughness. Love hangs in there. Love is, is the boxer who, who stays in the ring, who keeps getting up all the time. Short story. I was a young pastor in another state many, many years, many, many years ago. There's a couple, I'll call them Joe and Jane, mid-30s, had never been Christians, rough, rough upbringing. I still can't believe some of the, the things this, this Joe had endured as a boy. Substance, prison, all part of their, their background. They come to Christ, come to church, get saved, find Jesus, find joy, find forgiveness of sin, get baptized, get married, have some rough edges to work out. One day I get a call, say, we're, we're having a terrible fight. We're having a terrible fight. Can, can you come over? So me being a young pastor, I said, sure, I'll come over. So I jump right in the frying pan. So I walk in the house. And he's in the living room, running laps, basically, walking, just breathing heavy. He's like a smoking volcano. He, he, he can't sit down. He's so worked up. I sit down in, in, in the kitchen. She comes out of the bedroom. Her face is red and splotchy. She's been crying. But her eyes, like flamethrowers, like the war movie, like the guy in the pack, like spouting flame, like a wall of flames. And I say something like, I think I must have said something like, well, what's going on? What's happening? Throwing a match in a room full of gasoline. She, in an epic fashion, lights her flamethrower. Verbal flamethrower, you can imagine just engulfing him. It was personal. It was profane. It was particular. 
You know, me as young pastor, I'm stop, stop, time out, time out. On the inside, I'm like, wow, you, you did not just call him that. You did not just say that to your, oh, this marriage is gone. This marriage is over, burned to a crisp, nothing left. After a couple minutes, she stops. And I'm like, white flag, this is, Joe is done. Joe is like the cartoon figure who's just gotten smoked by, he, he's, a, he's blackened and smoke is rising from him. Joe didn't need a white flag. Joe was, was ready. Um, it it kind of reminded me of, you know, those pirate movies where each battleship has like 100 guns and they roll out the cannons and, you know, one ship will pull up and fire and they just, 100 cannonballs and just carnage, ship blown to pieces, mass blown off. And you think that other pirate ship, they just got blasted, broadsided and, and they're done. And the other, the one pirate crew is dancing like, yeah, we got them. And then suddenly that other pirate crew, they just rise up out of the wreckage. And like, now it's our turn, boys, let her have it. And it was just like that with Joe. I mean, pound for pound, when it was his turn, he just let her have it. Equal in every way to her. And again, I was just like, no, oh, um, uh, stop. Stop that. Time out. I was useless. I, I couldn't stop anything. It was just out of control. And I thought, marriage is over. There's no coming back from that one. This marriage is dead, dead, dead. So finally, they both run out of heat and anger. I must have said a few words about forgiveness and, you know, forgive each other, pray, pat them both on the back, get out of there as fast as I can, stumble to the truck and like, I never want to do that again. They're at church the next Sunday. They're sitting next to each other. He's got his arm around her. And like, well, we, we asked the Lord to forgive us and I asked her to forgive me. She asked me to forgive her and they hugged and said they were sorry over and over again. And there they are. Wow. I thought there was no hope at all for that marriage. And now that was not the last time that Joe and Jane had it. But it was the last time that I was ever a part of that. Said, you guys are just going to do, I'll pray for you. You know, the, you know the routine. Ask the Lord to forgive you. You ask each other to forgive you. And just recently, and this is why it kind of brought, came back to my memory, a few months ago, I heard from Jane just that, uh, that Joe had just been elected to a leadership position in the church family of which I, I used to serve at. And just for years that they have grown and matured in love. I tell you that story, that love endures, that Jesus is the difference, that over the years I've seen many friendships and marriages fail that really shouldn't have failed. Like, really? You couldn't get past that? And other marriages and friendships that should have been dead, should have died, should have had no chance because of Christ, they lived. Again, our verses. 
Which one, as we go through this, has God spoken to you that you really want to grow in? Let's take a look again. Which one do you really want to pray for as, we've, as I'm prepared to wrap up? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Which one is the Lord speaking to you like he's calling you to grow in? Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I want to make this very practical as I wrap up. In just a common way that we often look at things is, if only so-and-so wasn't around, I would be such a loving person. If only so-and-such, so-and-so, who makes me so impatient, if they weren't around, then I would be very patient. If only so-and-so wasn't around, I wouldn't be such a rude person. But if you, if you just remove them from my life, if they got fired, if they weren't a part of my extended family, if they weren't my neighbor, then I would never be rude. I would always be kind. That's a natural way of looking at things, right? But the truth is, God has put so-and-so in your life to help you mature and grow in love. God has put so-and-so in your life to help you mature and grow in love. In my life, for me as well. A lot of times we look at people like they're impossible to love. But God has put them in our lives for a purpose. Because we can't grow in love without them. Right? You cannot grow in love unless you're, it's a stretch and a strain. You have to forgive. You have to let it go. You have to try to understand them. You have to be patient with them. You have to not get easily provoked. They're the special ones that help you grow. You may think of them, they're, yeah, they're special, all right. But they're also the special ones that, that make you grow. They try you. They're the ones that put you on your knees and say, Lord, I can't do it. And that's where God wants to bring you. God wants you to come to your knees and to say, I can't do it because then God can give you a greater measure of love. God has intentionally allowed people into your life to test your patience, test your kindness, giving you opportunities for agape love, to love those who don't deserve it, because you didn't deserve it either. God gives you people who will never return your love but you are to love them anyway as God loves you. And so our decision is I'm going through Christ. I'm going to love through the power of Jesus working through me. That's our cry. That's our prayer. I'm going to love so-and-so through the power of Jesus working through me. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I'm going to ask the 
Barnabas team and the worship team to come at this time. I'm going to give you a few moments to pray. You can take a moment right now just to pray, Lord, mature and grow me in love. And if it's helpful to think of a certain person or group of people, Lord, give me a greater love. Give me your love for that person or for that group of people. Take a few moments to pray for that right now. And I think it would be a good prayer, just, Lord, help me grow in patience. That love, agape love, is patience. Right now, just say, Lord, give me greater patience. If you are not a Christian, if you've not known the love, the agape love of God, You can say a short prayer. There'll be people up front you could pray with in a moment. But you can say a short prayer right now to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. God extends his agape love to you. He loves you completely, just as you are, and he is ready to forgive you of your sin. Lord, I just pray for each one of us today in the midst of these difficult times. I pray that you grow each one of us in agape love. Grow us in selfless love for you, for each other. Grow us in sacrificial love toward each other, in patience and acts of kindness. Jesus, I pray that you would mature, strengthen each one of us in love. Father, I pray you'd give us faith to believe that we can grow in love toward people we find hard to love. We thank you that your word is true and that you're all powerful. In Jesus' name, amen.